Thanks for listening to the teaching ministry of Fellowship Bible Church in Mullica Hill, New Jersey. We trust today's message will challenge you and move you closer to Christ. We enter into a series of messages for the next couple Sundays that will be uh, about the Christmas story. And I've kind of thought about how you move from the book of Acts to the story, the Christmas story. And so I kind of was captured with this phrase, go and tell. Because it seems to me that as I read the Christmas story, I hear this excitement about going and telling, going and telling, going and telling that it just isn't a message we're supposed to have for ourselves, it's one we're supposed to tell. And so we're gonna enter into that this morning and thinking through four truths out of Luke chapter two. But um, as we do that, just let me encourage you, look for ways this Christmas season to go and tell. I mean, you've already heard uh, uh, Jason mention of our Christmas Eve services. Um, That would just be a wonderful, wonderful opportunity for you to invite someone to come um, and be impacted by the gospel, be impacted by this parts of the season where we remember and sing Christmas carols together. All of that's gonna be special, so be a part of that. Well, with that in mind, why don't you stand with me for the reading of the word. I'll be reading from Luke chapter two, and I'll pick up the story of the shepherds in verse eight this morning. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord." And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. And when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Four elements we find, four truths in what I want to call the go and tell message. And this is a a part of how you and I begin to think about the message that God has given us to share with others. The message we tell is given by God. The message we tell is infused with hope. The message we tell is based on grace. The message we tell is meant to be told, okay? So here it is. The message we tell is given by by God. Now remember that the shepherds are in the field just going about their daily business. We know that it's dark, it's at night. And notice what we see about this message. In verse 9, it says, And an angel of the Lord appeared, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. I was thinking about that because um, the word angel appears about some 275 times in your Bible. But, but it's not necessarily angels that we think of as, as, I don't know, like the little angels we put around at Christmas time. 
that when an angel came, literally, literally the, the, the Greek word there, angelos, means messenger. They came with a message. They just didn't come and kind of stand around and flap their wings, okay? They usually came with a message. And sometimes that message frightened the people that they were speaking to. Uh, sometimes it comforted the people they were speaking to. But when you see the word angel used in the scripture, it often comes with a message. The thing you want to know about the angels coming with the message is that what you begin to find in the Bible is we might think that it would be better if the angels just did all the telling, okay? Like you might say, the people I'm trying to share the gospel with, they would listen to an angel more than they would listen to me, okay? But God understands that the power is in the message, not in the messenger, and someone might be wowed if an angel showed up here today, okay, and gave the message. Um, but the power would start to, people would start to think it was in the messenger. And that's not how the gospel works. The power is always in the message, which is why the angels will not do for us what we are supposed to do for ourselves, which is go and tell. In fact, let me show you one occurrence of an angel, not here in Luke chapter 2, but um, after Jesus had been crucified, buried, and risen from the dead, look at what the angel says. And the angel says to them, this is at the tomb, don't be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth who is crucified. He isn't here. He has risen from the dead, exclamation point, okay? This is an excited angel, okay? Look, this is where they laid his body, but it's empty. Now go and tell his disciples that Jesus is going ahead of you to Galilee for you will see him there just as he told you before he died. Notice what the angel does. The angel gives the message and the angel says, you go and tell, see. So the first thing you see is this idea that we know this message is from the Lord, is from God because the message given to us came from angels. But there's another element there in Luke chapter two. It not only spoke of the angel of the Lord, but it spoke of the glory of the Lord. Now, for just a moment to kind of unpack that, I need to take you back and remind you that in Old Testament times, you had the tabernacle, which was like the temporary dwelling when Israel's wandering around in the wilderness. And then you had the temple, particularly the temple that Solomon built. And when Solomon builds that temple, both at the tabernacle and temple, we know that you could visibly see in the form of a cloud, the glory of the Lord, okay? Except something happens. In 586, because of the unconstant idolatry of the Israelite people, um, the glory of the Lord is withdrawn from the temple. And you may have never noticed this before, but let me show you how Ezekiel talks about it. You, it, it almost is like a process, okay? Here it is in Ezekiel chapter 10, verse 4. And the glory of the Lord went up from the cherub to the threshold of the house. Now, we're, remember that in the temple there was this holy of holies where the cherubim rested over the Ark of the Covenant, and the glory of the Lord recited there. In some way, the glory of the Lord was there. But here in Ezekiel chapter 10, verse 4, we see that the glory of the Lord, that, that image, that the cloud, has moved off from the cherubim the, on, on the uh, Ark of the Covenant, and it's moved out to the threshold of the temple. So whatever that looked like, Ezekiel saw that it had moved, okay? And the house was filled with the cloud, and the court was filled with the brightness, here's that phrase again, of the glory of the Lord, Ezekiel chapter 10, verse 19. And the cherubim lifted up their wings and mounted up from the earth before my eyes, and they went out, and they stood at the entrance of the east gate of the house of the Lord. Now, now the glory of the Lord has moved, and the glory of the Lord of Israel was with them. The glory of the Lord has moved from the threshold out to the gate, almost out of the city. There's an image happening here. I just want you to see it. 
And then in Ezekiel chapter 11, verse 23, this is what we read. And the glory of the Lord went up from the midst of the city and stood on the mountain that is at the east side of the city, literally the Mount of Olives. So here's this picture. If, uh, if you saw the glory of the Lord here, it moves to the back door, it moves to the parking lot, and it moves across the street, okay? It's as if God is saying, the glory of the Lord is being withdrawn from the nation of Israel. And the next time you see the glory of the Lord, you ready for this? Is when the shepherds see it. That's really powerful, okay? Because for basically 586 years, that presence, whatever that looked like to them, what people recognized as the glory of the Lord was nowhere to be seen because the people had wandered away and God withheld and waited. Galatians 4 says, for when the fullness of time has come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. God waited for the fullness of time to reveal again the glory of the Lord. Powerful, powerful. And that is why the shepherds say in Luke chapter two, they saw the angel of the Lord, they saw the glory of the Lord, and that's why they say, which the Lord has made known to us. The shepherds get it. They understand that the message we tell is given by God. We could not have discovered it on our own, okay? And I just want you to see that. For 586 years, people wait. They're waiting. They're looking for uh, the Messiah to come. We could not have discovered this on our own. This message is from God. Here's the second idea. The message we tell is infused with hope. It's beautiful. It's remarkable in this. It's one of my favorite couple of phraseologies here we find in Luke chapter two. Here it is. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Just say that phrase with me, will you? What's highlighted there. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Here is why the message is infused with hope, okay? It's infused with hope because it's good news. We are undeserving. We are undeserving. The the shepherds of all the people in the field uh, in Jerusalem, but bear in mind that the angels didn't go to the religious people. They didn't show up in the temple one day and say, hey, the Messiah is going to be born over in Bethlehem. Shepherds in that day and age were outcasts. They were kind of nomadic. They were living there. Um, they, they took care of the sheep, but because they were always in this kind of state of uncleanness, if you've ever taken care of sheep, you get it, um, they couldn't even worship in the temple. And so here they are out in the field. They are the ones who are kind of outcast. And there was kind of this, also this little vibe in biblical times about a shepherd. We see them at the nativity scene and think, oh, they look so wonderful and so harmless, but but they didn't necessarily have the best of reputations either. So here we are, seemingly the most undeserving, most unsuspecting people is the one God brings the good news to. And of course, the phrase good news here is the Greek word evangelion. It's the word we get evangelism from. It's the gospel that we tell It's for the undeserving. But it's not only there, it's of great joy. This message is, it's good news of great joy. And I love this. I'm going to teach you a Greek word today. Even if you don't know the Greek language, you know this word. The word found right before joy is the word mega, okay? So just put mega on anything, okay? And you know it's supersized, okay? It's like the supersized, supersized, supersized meal, okay? 
They went from mega, by the way, the text also says a little earlier that when they saw the angel, they had great fear, mega fear. They went from mega fear to mega joy, okay? Man, talk about a swing, okay? They are greatly afraid, and now this message has given them great joy. Why? Because they knew they were undeserving. They knew they were unfaithful. And they are being told for the first time that Christ came for the undeserving. Wow. That's why it's filled with hope. If you sit here today and you say, Phil, you do not know my problems. You do not know what I've done. If you knew what I did, if you knew what someone has done to me, you wouldn't give this Christmas message. Oh, yes, I would. Because Christ came not for those who deserved him, but for the undeserving of great joy. Christ came for the undeserving. And then, note this, it is good news of great joy for all people, which means this, Christ came for all people. We are equally undeserving. That's right. When Christ comes, he doesn't say, I'm just coming for this group. No, I'm just coming for this group. I'm just coming for this group. I'm coming for people who do things this way. I'm coming for people who do things this way. Okay. No, it is good news of great joy for all people because all of us are equally undeserving. We are all in need. My favorite um, Christmas carol, bar none, is the song, Oh, Come All Ye Faithful. But I will tell you that even though I love the song, every time I sing it, in the back of my head, I always ask the question, what about the unfaithful? <laughs> okay. And uh, a friend of mine, Michael Boggs, just wrote a song this year, it's barely out, right, entitled, Oh, Come All You Unfaithful. And I was pondering that song because it seemed, because he captured this word undeserving in the song. It sung to the same tune, sort of, but imagine it kind of goes like this. Normally we would sing it, Oh, come all ye faithful. But Boggs rewrote it this way. Come, you unfaithful. Come, all you unworthy. Come, you with nothing to offer to him. Come, you unrighteous. Come, you undeserving. Rejoice, for he came for you. Rejoice, he came for you. Rejoice, he came for you. Christ the Lord. Oh, come all you anxious, waiting and wanting. Come if your burdens are all you can bring. Weary from silence and questions without answers. Rejoice, he came for you. Rejoice, he came for you. Rejoice, he came for you. Christ, the Lord is for the broken. His strength is for the weak. His grace is for the sinner who hopes in lesser things. His arms are for the lowly. His blood is for the lost. His mercy is ever reaching, his love for all of us. Oh, come, all you prideful, boasting in your power, 
Come if you're trusting in your strength that you can bring. Come self-sufficient and you with all the answers. Rejoice, he came for you. Rejoice, he came for you. Rejoice, he came for you. Christ, Lord. Remarkable. Think about this for a second. You might think you don't need him. You might think you're prideful. God came for you. You might think you have all the answers. Christ came for you because you don't know what you don't know. You say, Phil, I'm anxious. I'm worried. I I even struggle to trust in God. That's what Christmas is about. Christ came for you. And you might feel unworthy, you might feel undeserving, you might feel that you are the one who is unrighteous. Christ came for you. This is why the shepherds know it as good news of great joy because Christ came for all people. The message we tell is based on grace. The message we tell is based on grace. Note this in chapter two, verse 16. This is how, just notice the highlighted part. So they go to Bethlehem, the shepherds, and this is what they do. And they went and found the baby lying in a manger. That's it. All they had to do was go. They found the very baby lying in a manger that had been proclaimed to them would be the savior of the world. By the way, that's not the first time that idea was captured. The angel said, to uh, Joseph, you may remember when Joseph was confused about why his wife was expecting and he knew he wasn't the father. The angel said to Joseph, the baby conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. You will name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And Mary herself says in Luke chapter one, my heart is rejoiced in my savior. The picture is this, that we knew that the message we tell is based on grace. It is God saving us not us doing something to impress him. And I love that. Maybe the way to capture that is the Savior is accessible. We could not go to him, so he came to us. This is the message we tell. The Savior is accessible. We could not go to him, so he came to us because it is a grace-based message. In fact, I love this image. You can see that the Savior comes to us because we cannot go to him. By the way, there's this really cool picture that the shepherds would have captured. The angels came from heaven and they reascended to heaven. They descended and then they ascended. They went back to heaven. Um, In Jacob's dream, you may remember in the book of Genesis, it says that the angels were ascending and descending on the ladder. Luke seems to reverse it slightly and say, no, no, it works this way. You can't go to him, but he will come to you. Savior is accessible. We could not go to him, so he came to us. And finally, note this last idea. The message we tell is meant to be told, okay? The message we tell is meant to be told. And notice how that's captured in Luke chapter two. Here it is, verse 17. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. I love that. They didn't just keep that message to themselves. And you just got to know that shepherds would be some of the most unbelievable, unbelievable, like they would not be believable witnesses. 
And here they are, they don't care. They're not caught up in self-pity. They're not saying, nobody's ever gonna believe what we say, like we're shepherds after all. They're just telling people. They are telling people. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. They literally left there and probably were waking up people telling them of what they saw and the saying that had been said and that this baby had been born in Bethlehem. Remarkable. I'm reminded of the fact that this Luke 2 story tells us this. It says that, um, that the angel said, um, for unto you this day is born in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord, and you will find the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger. In verse 14, all of a sudden, the myriad of angels begin to sing, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Warren Wearsby, writing probably 50 years ago, said this, the Jewish word shalom or peace means much more than a truce in the battles of life. It means well-being, health, prosperity, security, soundness, and completeness. It has to do more with character than circumstances. I love this. Now, this reads like I just opened it up yesterday. He says, life back then was difficult. At that time, just as it is today, taxes were high, unemployment was high, morals were slipping lower, and the military state was in control. Roman law, Greek philosophy, and even Jewish religion could not meet the needs of men's hearts. Then God sent his son. Wow, there it is. And that's the message we tell. Because this message, just by way of reminder, is a message we tell because it was given by God, It's a message we tell because it's infused with hope. It's a message we tell because it's based on grace. And it's a message we tell that is meant to be told. So we need to tell it. Father, it's a privilege to look to your word this morning to be reminded again of this incredible message, a message of hope. And it's a message, Lord, where you reached us And so there is not anyone sitting here today who can say, I'm undeserving, I'm unworthy. Those are the very people, we are the very people that you sent your son for. While your heads are bowed, just let me invite you there. If you know the Lord, then pray for someone this morning you know who doesn't, okay? Then maybe this Christmas might be a day that they could trust Christ. But if you don't know the Lord, just let me talk to you. This is a message for you that the Savior of the world came as a baby, lived 30 plus years without ever sinning, so that when he died on the cross, his death could pay for your sins and mine. And the Bible offers it to you in this way, that as many as believed in him, that is Jesus, to them gave he the power to become the children of God. Paul writing in 1 Corinthians captures it this way, for I delivered unto you what I also received, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. Jesus Christ came, he lived, he died without sinning. So his death can pay for your sin and mine. I would invite you this morning simply to believe, Justin mentioned it earlier, but just one further opportunity. If you'd never trusted Christ, maybe today would be your day Simply say, Lord Jesus, I know I'm unworthy, but I believe you came and died for me. I'm asking you to be my savior. 
and my Lord and my King. Take a moment and thank him for that. Father, we are grateful that we can rejoice this Christmas, not just in the fun festivities, but in the truth of a message that we can go and tell. Help us to do that in small ways and big ways in any way possible with those who are around us. In Jesus' name, amen.